Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 358th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's ready, remastered, and ready to go. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I am your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co host is Derek the Dark Mage, at Oko Assassin on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Uh, this is Derek here, back again. Glad to have another great conversation about what's happening in Magic Finance. Uh, but before we jump in, I do want to remind listeners that this uh, podcast is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG Finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to plan your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Mass Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Derek, what do we have on our agenda this week? Well, James, we're going to do our usual four segments. First things, uh, we're going to kick things off with segment one, our MTGO Metagame Week in Review. After that, we're going to move on to segment two, where we talk about the top movers of the week and discuss why we think these cards saw significant gains. Then on to segment three, our cards to watch. We're going to talk about where what we're having our eyes on at the moment. And finally, we'll wrap things up with segment four, our topics of the week. And this week, I think we're mostly touching on uh, the one, the uh, Phyrexia All is One leaks. Uh, leaks, plural, because there were many of them. <laughs> Fair enough. Moving on over into the metagame week in review. We had a modern showcase challenge this weekend. Looked like fairly standard fare for uh, the modern field these days. We had Shardless Footfalls uh, in a rare appearance in the first place slot. Living End in second. Black Green Yogmoth in third. The up-and-coming deck of the week has to be this Jeskai Breach list, uh, which was in fourth and eighth, running things like Grape Shot alongside Ragavan and Ledger Shredder. Black Red mid-range with Grief, otherwise known as uh, Scam deck in 5th, Mono Green Tron in 6th, and Blue Red Murktide in 7th. Yep, I, so um, yeah, Jessica, I want to talk about that. Before we jump in though, what is with the two become immense in the Shardless Footfalls deck? That's what I want to know. Just trying to close out the games. I've never seen that before. Maybe I just missed it. But it, this is a normal Charlotte's football deck with Brazen Borrowers and Agents and, you know, all of that. And then they just throw in two Become Immense, presumably to close out the game. Yeah, that's uh, not a card I've seen. I remember seeing in that list before either. And certainly a fascinating addition. And I suspect you're right. It's They, they probably have run the calculation that getting an extra six damage in often closes out the game and so they fill up their yard with fetches and whatever other stuff uh you know an early fury or what have you and then they use become immense to drive it home yeah and this doesn't have white so it looks like they're sacrificing leyline's binding maybe to fit that in uh amongst other cards so it's a little bit more streamlined um, smaller number of colors and then you're doing a lot of the kind of yeah the yeah, fire ice dead gone in the early stages fill your graveyard boost that plus those lands and then presumably you can use that become immense with some rhinos i mean if you lay down two rhinos do become immense if your opponent's doing any fetch shock action you got them pretty close if not dead i'm also not sure four brazen borer has been standard in this list up until this point that seems new to me as well yeah, that seems a little higher. I would I would think it'd usually probably be like two. Yeah, I think we've seen one or two in the past. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes out of the board. Uh, so yeah, the Jeskai Breach list, you wanted to touch on that? Yeah, I. so this is, I mean, we talked last week, so there's been a couple value versions of Underworld Breach showing up, and this is one of those. So it's got Ledger Shredder, Regavan, Dragon Rage Chandler uh, as kind of the primary package, and the Underworld Breach is really thrown in as... Just a value card with a full four. Um, I do love seeing their two Teferi Time Raveler. 
Um, and since there isn't a combo, it's not really trying to protect anything. Uh, there is Grape Shot in here, but I don't see anything it's comboing with. Uh, I, I guess like maybe it's protecting the Grape Shot, right? So you're you're breaching, you're trying to play a bunch of bubbles and whatever, and then Grape Shopping for the finish. Is that kind of the well, the Grape because the Grape here? Shot storms. You don't really need protection against counter spells or anything. It's the breach itself that sets up the Grape Shot that that Teferi uh, protects. Um, the, this is interesting because this breach deck is essentially blue red Murktide. And you're just switching in breaches for Murktides. Yep. Yep, that's about right. Um, I still, I, you know, this is playing two Spell Pierce. Um, one of the, the most, this, the counterspell that will make you, I think, the most angriest of all counterspells. Because <laughs> when it gets you, it gets you so good and it just feels so bad. I mean, it's the same commentary I had last week, which is that it's it's odd that in a breach deck of this style, you really only have bolts to drive home the winning turn because none of the creatures have haste. Well, I guess Ragavan can can get out and dash, so that's not entirely true. Um, but, you know, an Unholy Heat can't hit a player, so... You... It has Dranath Magistrate in the sideboard. I have not seen that before. How about you? Mm, I can't remember. think what that's hitting. Companions, obviously, but that's not that big of a problem. Yeah, that's, that's curious for sure. Um, all right, so I guess move on over to this Pioneer Challenge. Also a fairly standard-looking field. Black-red mid-range, the perennial favorite in this format in first. Lotus Field combo in second and fourth. Blue-red Arclight in third. White-green Angels making another non-arena appearance in fifth. Mono-green, another probably the second-best deck in the format. Some people would say the first, I suppose. In uh, sixth place, as I said, seventh place, black red mid range again, and Bant Spirits in eighth. Nothing too surprising in that. Yeah, I and this seemed like a pretty standard top eight. Um, seems healthy. I I know a lot of people don't like mono green. I think it's fine, right? Like power level wise, Nykthos is a little, a little pushed, but it's not. I mean, one one of the top eight seems like there's always one or two floating around, but nothing crazy. So. Seems healthy, although, you know, we need another set to start shaking things up here, but uh, we won't get that for what? What's the next release? A month? Uh, no, two or three weeks, something like that. Well, yeah, okay. okay. Because yeah, I, think, I think it'll be, it'll be legal week, by mid-Feb, so. if I'm not mistaken, for okay. if we're talking about one. Yeah, so a month or so, yeah. Uh, I guess it'll be the most notable fresh inclusion in this format is still the the card that reinforces the four collected company and the white green angels list, the Kayla's reconstruction out of Brothers War, uh, still holding steady at, at full four copies, so clearly has earned its place in the deck. Uh, I note that they are also running four shapers sanctuary in here in the sideboard. That's the enchantment for one green out of Ixalan that uh, whenever a creature you control becomes the target of a spell or an ability an opponent controls, you may draw a card. Uh, so basically helps you against removal-heavy decks, I presumably like black-red mid-range, they uh, can gain card advantage that is difficult for the black-red deck to overcome because there's very few cards in those colors that can get rid of a card-drawing enchantment like this. Right. Yeah, that's that's true. I also saw a power wood power word kill in a couple lists, which I I guess I hadn't taken notice of before. This is the enhanced doom blade destroy target non angel non demon non devil non dragon creature. Um, highly specific restrictions. Basically, the only thing I think you're not being able to target is devils in the red black deck and or the angel deck. Yeah, of course there's still tar- there's still targets in there. The angel deck is totally fine with them running four power word kill. <laughs> right. But you can still hit, you know, Skyclave Apparition, um Respend- Resplendent Angel. No, angel. that's an angel. Respe- uh, Sky Skyclave Kirk, there we go. I guess that's only coming every once in a while. I mean if if you're running in if you're running a creatures deck where the kill spells are turned off for 80% of your creatures, you're going to be totally fine with that situation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. But other than that deck, it seems like it hits most of the targets out there and definitely does a good job with the bigger threats in the format, for sure. 
Moving on over to top paper movers of the week, we've got Soul Ring number 1010 out of Secret Layers uh, going 17 to 20. That's 18% gains, likely going to edge up over time. I've said this again and again that it doesn't matter how many time they, times they print cards like Soul Ring, if they print a very fancy version that people are into, either by uh, you know frame or by art or both, it will eventually uh, do well as long as they haven't given it out at a GP or something. Thousand Year Elixir out of Commander 2013, 11 to 15, 37% gains. There are a bunch of different commanders that are interested in making use of this uh, card, and it hasn't gotten that many reprints over the years. We also have Goblin Welder leveraging the artifact hype in EDH this fall and all the different decks that have been built. We've got both Urza and Mishra out of Brothers War getting built fairly uh, solidly. And as a result, Goblin Welder original copies going 25 to 36. Foils are in the hundreds of dollars. Dragonlord's Servant out of Dragons of Tarkir. Foils going 425 to 650. That's going to be on the back of continuing interest in dragon decks in EDH. 53% gains there. We flagged a fairly major uh, speculator spike on Lauren of the Third Path in the Discord. Extended art copies going 13 to 20, 54% gains. And also the top gainer of the week is the foil extended arts going 10 to 30, or whatever people will pay for them at present. And we almost immediately suggested that if you can get out anywhere near those prices, because you you know, cracked some Brothers War CBs and happened to have a couple of these lying around, you absolutely want to be selling those as this is easily the, this is a great card. It is an S tier staple for EDH. It's in, you know, the top played card out of Brothers War for that format. However, it's still a rare foil extended art, not a mythic. So for it to be at 30 or $40 is putting it in Ledger Shredder territory and it is not a uh, competitive card for the most part. So very safely... Uh, very safe recommendation to go ahead and sell these uh, at anywhere near that elevated price tier for this early on in its print run and go ahead and shift that money to something else. Yeah. I look at through my last year specs. I was, you look at some of the prices in retrospect and anytime I spent more than like 15, 20, 25 on something that wasn't like an all-star, you know, clearly something that was going to do well, it usually did poorly. Um, early entry at a low price for things is, I mean, it seems so obvious, but you know, once, once a car gets to be 20, $30, it's, it's hard to move past that price point. Um, things do it all the time, but it, it just gets so much more challenging compared to, you know, this going to 10 to 30, that 30 to 50 is infinitely harder. I, I think there's a lot of context we have to add to a statement like that. I mean, it's very easy for a very low drop rate premium card, for instance, to go from 30 to 100 but if you're talking about foil extended art rares yeah, getting above 30 yeah. yes definitely um talisman of progress surge foils at a 40k surge foils continue to be targeted so we saw these go 5 to 8 60 percent gains exotic orchard surge foils 10 to 16 i like this one more uh it's a definitely a high tier staple land for edh with all sorts of play and I wouldn't be surprised if those search foils finished the year somewhere closer to 25 or 30 for 2023. We've also got Relentless Assault foils out of 8th edition, 10 to 16. 7th foils, 7th edition foils have been expensive for quite a while. And I've we've noticed over the last couple of years the 8th edition foils chasing uh, the 7th edition foils a bit. Then we've got Dark Steel Relic out of New Phyrexia, foils going 10 to 20. I'm going to assume that's on the back of Artifact uh, hype and the attention on all things Phyrexian that is being driven by the current narrative and upcoming sets. And that pretty much rounds up our rounds out our yeah, top because that's numbers. not really played anywhere, right? I mean, sometimes I, Dark, I've seen Dark a, Steel Relic. Yeah, I think Relic was in an aspiring Spike Brew recently, so that's probably got something to do with it. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's a zero casting cost artifact yeah, that, that. that can trigger, uh, trigger Metalcraft. Right. Interesting. I mean, it's unique for sure. I could see it more, yeah, competitive side, I guess. How about the Magic Online Big Movers of the Week? 
Sure. So Magic Online, there are so a lot of what Magic Online uh, happens is based on tournament results, obviously, but also upcoming tournaments. And this weekend, there is both a legacy, a big legacy and a big vintage tournament. And so we're seeing some movement on some of those key staples that have been kind of slowly drifting down over time now that people actually need them again uh, and are willing to pay the, you know, with pay the price they're bouncing back a little bit so we saw minsk and boo go from about 370 to six uh for a 62 percent gain as well as susan dungeoneer which is uh, we've talked about a few times kind of collapsed online down to five tickets or so uh with this tournaments coming up it bounced back to 11 tickets for about 120 percent gain uh and then in addition pure steel paladin's been doing pretty well going from just under 4 tickets to about 7 tickets. I think that's really just due to hammer time. It's done pretty well lately. Obviously a solid card, low supply. This is the um new Phyrexia version which is pretty old. Um so not a ton in circulation. Obviously there's other copies too, but uh so no, it was relatively quiet week uh and the next week we I expect there to be treasure chest changes with the Dominaria remastered being released and so once those come out some things will be get pulled from treasure chest some things will be added and that'll really push a lot of price movement in the next 2 weeks or so if the white initiative cards show up at a high drop rate in the treasure chest they turn into a uh shorting opportunity so yeah, these showed up. So they at one point the white cards were almost a hundred tickets. I think uh, at their peak, we so many of us uh, shorted that when they were probably about sixty tickets each. Um, I think one was fifty sell price, one was sixty, and they've since collapsed down to I think like I said before the price moved about six and twenty two, and so. Uh, many people that shorted it had had the opportunity to really ca- uh, capitalize on that collapse. Now, if they stay in the treasure chest, because right now they're dropped about one every, I think it's like 600 treasure chests or so, which, uh, you know, there's a lot of treasure chests being opened on Magic Online every day. So that just slowly erodes the value. So if they stay in the treasure chest, I expect them to follow Minsk and Boo and get down to, you know, two to five tickets again. And if they don't, if they get all pulled... Uh, and there's no other new supply, then they could bounce back pretty hard. So it all just depends on the numbers uh, released next week, which kind of come uh, usually on a Monday or Tuesday pre- prior to a new set coming to Magic Online. Fair enough. Moving on over to segment three, cards to watch, the cards that are on our radar. I'm going to kick things off taking a look at a fairly prominent mythic for EDH purposes out of Brothers War, Awaken the Woods foil extended arts are definitely uh, on my radar. The The card is in 7,000 decks already on EDH rec. That's 5% of all green decks. I would expect over the course of the next year, it's going to drift down to 3 or 4% of all green decks. And currently copies, lowest price copies, which have been drifting down pretty much the entire time since release, which is pretty normal for a non-competitive card. And we've talked... Uh, during the year-end review about how foil extended art rares often get low and then get even lower over time. And that can also happen with mythics, especially if they don't have multi-format play support. So currently these are have gotten down and sort of like, looks like it might be forming a plateau around $40, but I'm going to call the entry here closer to 30 to 35. I suspect it's going to continue to drift down. However, they're selling at a relatively brisk pace Uh, It is a very unique uh, effect uh, in the format. And if we take a look at play patterns for these Lands Matters cards, they tend to do pretty well uh, over time if they show up in a bunch of different decks. This is the kind of thing that it ramps any green deck relatively well, as long as they don't bump into a Supreme Verdict or the like. And... Given that we are currently looking at how many listings a couple months out from release, about 35 listings, that's not very deep inventory at all. And the pace of sales is not nearly as brisk as the non-foils would be, but you're still looking at small number of copies sold on any given day sometimes one sometimes three kind of depends you know whether it's a payday or not fridays tend to be busier on these kinds of things and i could easily see these drifting up slowly over time off a plateau of say 30 or 35 perhaps up to 50 or 55 over the course of say 12 to 16 months 
So one thing I've been shocked to see. So I've been redeeming sets lately from Magic Online, and I got. I, I know I talked about in the cast. I got forty sets of Bro uh, Brothers War redeemed, and I was able to list them in the last week or so. And I did this with Dominaria United, and it's amazing to see how much faster some things move than others. Right, you just pricing it at market. And some things are collapsing in price, and so within hours of you pricing it, everything's below you and you can't sell anything. And other things are either stagnant but selling well or going up in price and you're just you know clearing out your inventory very fast. Awaken the Woods was one that just flew off the shelves for me. Um, so I looked at you know their sales pattern of the regular version because even though they're disconnected, the regular version selling well means that EAs will sell well and Boil Extended Arts will sell well. Probably, right? There's a, uh, some sort of crossover there. And this this is the one that sold the fastest for me. Um, that might be a mixture of the price point and things like that, but it, it, it really pointed to me as like the card in the set I think that has the longest longevity um, because of the, the casual crossover and all the different applications and the scalability. So I it seems like of the cards in the set, this is the one that's going to do well over time. It's just a matter of how long that time horizon is. But uh, yeah, seems seems on track to me. We've talked about this card a few times, even during set release. Powerful, versatile, does does a lot of things well. So seems seems right up the alley. Alrighty, what's your first card to watch this week? Sure. So um, my first card is, and I know we've talked about it in different versions of the past, is just the basic version of Maskwood Nexus, uh, which was printed in Kaldheim. I know there's a lot of discussion about it, and then it got kind of crushed a little bit because it got reprinted in uh, Commander Legends, uh, Baldur's Gate, and those new copies kind of really, I think, hit this price pretty hard. Um, that said, I've seen it being bounced back. I've been selling these pretty regularly on TCG Direct for five bucks pop. The Baldur's Gate version, which is the one in higher, you know, should have been in higher supply, is really a low supply right now. Is only about fifty vendors, and the the price even of that version is about a buck seventy. So I was kind of looking around, and, and the Baldur's Gates I think are going to get open for a while because it's in one of the um, the best Baldur's Gate Commander Legends sets uh, or the. Uh, deck lists the party time deck list which a lot of people are cracking and opening because it has black market connections a lot of value but anyway so sum it up uh i'm picking macros nexus the the kaldheim uh version specifically from the eu although i think this crosses over to us too if you want to play a little higher price in the eu they're only a dollar a piece which is basically card kingdom buy list price uh, and you can sell them in the U.S. for, you know, if you're on TCG Direct or some of these other things for roughly $5. I've been selling, I think I sold through 50 copies in the last two weeks. So um, over time, I think this will grow, but I think that this is more of just an arbitrage of if you're buying things in the EU, you just pick up any copies available from the vendor you're buying for, for about, a, you know, just under a euro a piece. Flip them at some point in the future in the U.S., whatever that pricing may be, which I think will only go up. And you get a little single base hit for a couple bucks here and there, which, uh, you know, isn't going to make anyone rich, but you do that a few times and you got a little little change in your pocket. They're going to keep reprinting this, so that's certainly a, a risk here. Um, but if it's moving briskly on direct and you've got access to direct, then this seems totally fine. Uh Longtime listeners will uh, easily remember that one to five dollar specs are basically my most hated class of specs because inside my model that doesn't work at all unless I'm buy listing and since the CK buy list doesn't really support the import, um, you know I wouldn't have a play to make on these. I don't want to make three bucks minus shipping minus fees and then and toss these off. But if I can send a brick of these into direct and have them sell them for me and clear still minor cash but it's just part of the normal flow of your business where you were sending in a big direct order anyway you're perfectly happy to clear 20 percent per transaction because you didn't have to touch anything after you had sent them in then this all makes perfect sense yep and and if you're the one shipping it and you're doing order by order don't do this (laughs) You'll make your life, you'll make your life terrible. Uh, I mean, I do think at some point this could be a buy list play if they don't reprint it. I agree with you. Like, you got to get out of, you know, just churn this because the this is the type of card. If they've already put it in one other set, it, you know, within two years, it's probably one of those they have a target on their back. They're they're just going to keep doing it every you know year or so. Um, so I wouldn't want to hold these long term, but. 
Um, over the next six months, probably fine. You know, who knows? But I would think, like, Ixalan would make a lot of sense for this to reprint in that ballpark because it's very tribal-focused, um, and this is, you know, getting things to be tribally. But, uh, you know, you never know how long it'll take, and who knows? But, um, yeah. What's your next pick, James? I've got Force of Negation Foil Borderless out of Double Masters, currently available around $40. This has a fairly similar graph to the Awaken the Woods Foil Extended Arts over a short, slightly short, longer period of time. These came out in the summer, as opposed to uh, in Brothers War. And it started pre-ordering in and around the $60 to $80 range and has since drifted down to what looks like a potentially localized plateau around 40 And they sell two, three, four, five copies a day, depending on the day. We've got 83 listings left on TCG Player because uh, even though this is a foil rare um, out of the uh, collector booster packs for this set, the... It behaves similarly to a Mythic because it's a high-demand card that is uh, EDH plus competitive play, so an S-tier staple, if you will, at least A-tier, and the has a higher cost basis because of the uh, elevated cost of the Collector Boosters for Double Master sets. So these being at $40 seems about right to me. They may drift a little further down. You might get a shot at them at 35 or even 30 if you're, if you're patient. But given that we're heading into the busy part of the year in the next few months, that may not be true. These could rebound relatively quickly off a bottom and start heading back towards 60. So I would just keep an eye on them, dibble dabble here and there, but it's the best version of the card that's available. Um, people don't seem to care for the foil etched, although personally I think it's a little more handsome than these. I just don't really care for this art uh, all that much. And yet I still suspect that given that it's in 90,000 decks on EDH rec and sees some modern play here and there, that the, you know, including I think the Crashing Footfalls deck had three copies, if I'm not mistaken. These to go 40 to 60 seems pretty likely on a, say, 12 to 16 month horizon and you might get lucky and it could happen faster. Yeah, it seems like this isn't a card that they'll reprint for a while. That would be my guess because they know the values there. They milked it twice with this plus um, the foil reprints of Modern Horizons. And so yeah, I think you're probably safe for a little while. Um, that would be my guess. And this seems criminally cheap compared to you know, what it was. I mean, before this got reprinted, it was... 70 80 bucks for a regular copy and right? force I mean, force a will borderless from that's coming out this weekend officially is was selling at face to face up here in canada for hundreds of dollars yeah. looks like on tcg player the foils are going for about 170 150 to 160 right now in mm-hmm. pre-order so those those will probably come down uh, a significant amount as well and be end up being in the 60 to 80 dollar range i would guess um, but yeah, forty dollars for these seems like a reasonable entry. And if you want to get greedy and and cross your fingers for a lower price point, by all means. Yeah, and I mean they're actually pretty. I mean, besides the fact that Force of Negation is a rare that has been recently reprinted heavily, and Force of Will is a mythic. Obviously, yeah. big distinctions there. But like EDH rec numbers, they're pretty close. One's ninety thousand decks. One's one hundred and ten, roughly. So. You know, they're both all-stars in that format. Anything you can cast for free. Um, no one wants to hard cast Force of Will for five. Um, and Whereas, you know, you pay for three for Force Negation. Yeah, it doesn't feel great, but it's fine, right? Um, so they're, they're pretty comparable there. I'd honestly not be surprised if they up rare shifted Force Negation in the future. But it seems like one of those cards where, like, they don't reprint it for four years three years you know they 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 see the price go crazy they go okay we're gonna reprint this now but we want to milk it like vampiric tutor so let's make it a mythic not a rare i could totally see that happening and it could it could anchor a prominent secret layer drop that is possibility we just had a dark steel colossus reprint that cut a bunch of value off that card so uh secret layer is the ever-present threat as we continue to advise and if it dodges that I don't see anything else during the year of 2023 that is likely to result in a reprinting. So 
I think people are yeah. going to get their window here. Yeah, and the, and the basic version is, it's I mean, from the same set, it's 26, right? I mean, you're not paying a huge premium for a gorgeous version of a card that over time will drain out. Right now, there's just a lot of supply. All right, what's your final selection? Sure, so final selection is uh, Vanquisher's Banner, uh, which is... Right now, um, U.S., it's about $12. I have this listed at EU, just to keep the theme, uh, at about nine fifty. Um, right now, they're selling on TCG for, yeah, 13 to 15 um, But this is a card that, you know, do, does a lot of work. It sees a lot of play. It's in 74,000 EDA track decks. And I think short-term, you could, you know, be almost close to flipping uh, right from the EU if you're on like TCG Direct. I think the normal copies, you know, if you get a playset, you're selling for 13 or so, not quite. But my guess is this gets towards 20 because it's a great card. It's got um, the old, this is the Time Spiral Remastered version that I'm picking specifically. It's the old border. It looks beautiful. There's only two printings of this card. Um, and with it being very focused on tribal, my guess is as Ixalan is approaching and people are kind of looking at Ixalan, that this might see a resurgence because um, this does creatures you control with the chosen type get plus one one. You choose uh, the type when it comes to the battlefield and whatever creature uh, of that chosen type um, is cast, you draw a card. So it's both boosting and drawing cards, which is very fun. Um, the downside risk of this, of course, is that it could be thrown into camp commander product. It could also be reprinted in Ixlon. Uh, but my guess is that the exit point uh, is so close to the current pricing that you could probably get out, you know, before that even becomes a huge risk. So if you're buying in the EU around 10, you're selling here for, you know, 18, 19, 20. Uh, I think you can probably get out in the fall uh, because these things are starting to drain out. And uh, right now there's only, of near mint English, uh, verified sellers in TCG, there's only 56 listings. So getting to be relatively low supply. Um, so I think going from roughly 10 in the EU to 20 uh, selling in the U.S. is pretty fair. If you're buying at 12 in the U.S., selling around 20 is still you know a reasonable gain. The old borders sell anywhere from four to eight copies a day on TCG Player. There are currently 67 listings. Biggest treasure trove of them I can find is 32 copies. Is this you, Dark Mage Game Sip at 1570? It is, and my price is going up. That was what flagged it for me, is I've been selling them, and I hadn't been until three days ago. Right. So, I mean, other than you, <laughs> no, nobody really has, no, nobody really has a big uh, a big stash of these. the The card is very good. It sees lots of play. It is at a higher reprint risk, I think, than most of the other stuff on this list uh, this week because it could show up in Ixalan, as you said. It could be a secret layer. Uh, it doesn't have a plane or event specific name. Vanquisher's Banner is very generic, so they can kind of throw this wherever they want. I don't think the regular commander decks are very likely, given the the price point being in the $15 to $20 range. So I'm not sure we're going to get the window on this, but the retro version may be safer uh, for some period of time, and as long as they don't print an even better version of it at a similar cost basis, then for every year that goes by, I could see this adding 3 to $5 in value. Yeah, and... I mean, Ixalan is slated for winter of 2024, so we have a lot of time. Like, so probably like February, Mar uh, January, February. So we have a full year before Ixalan. Yeah, I mean, bor borderless secret layer is probably the biggest risk, and that could be any old time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, give, yeah. given as, that this as is, with anything, given honestly. that this is on. Given that this is, only, well, not anything, because something like Awake in the Woods literally just got printed. So they're not going to put it in a secret layer in 2023. Whereas this came out spring of 2021. So, you know, by the time we're halfway through this year, we've got that kind of two-year window where they would feel more than comfortable to, to include it. So hopefully it dodges that and you can scoop some copies in Europe and turn the corner. We can right. move on over to segment four. Take a look at the uh, All Will Be One, which is the next standard set coming out on on February 10th. So we're in uh, preview season about a week from now, and we'll have the full thing available in less than a month since we're recording this on January 11th. Uh, 
And apparently somebody opened Dominaria Remastered packs this week in drafts at their LGS, and they were like chock-a-block full of a bunch of the rares from All Will Be One. Now, people called this leaks when they started showing up on Reddit this week, but I'm not convinced that these are leaks so much as they are guerrilla marketing tactics from Wizards that we have seen over and over again. This is not at all the first time that cards from a forthcoming set have been quote-unquote leaked in uh, new product. And it's also a little weird to me that this kind of mess-up could happen on the factory floor, because if you understand how big print shops work, like huge print shops, everything is a job, okay? If you're going to take such and such a product and put it on the presses and and print out 40,000 sheets and then cut them up and put them into booster packs, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that cards from one job would get mixed into the packs of another job. Because out on the shop floor, those stacks of sheets to be cut, for instance, that come off the press are going to be in this huge pallet pile off to the side. And they don't take the next yeah. job they do and pile them on top of the first pile. That goes on some totally separate pot pallet off to some other side. You know what I'm saying? So to have, yeah. like, they don't run the sheets concurrently on the same machine. It's all job-based. So to end up with the wrong sheets in booster packs, it's not impossible. But for it to happen kind of repeatedly over time, always kind of on the same timeline, like, Stuff in set A showing up in the next set from set B showing up in set A, the set before it. Eh, we've seen this this happen a few too many times for me to believe that it's a repeated problem on the floor. That being said, we have a bunch of cards to talk about. So let's take a look over at the spoiler websites and see if anything caught our eye. Notably, we mostly saw rares here uh, as opposed to mythics. One of the ones that jumped out at me is a thing called Soulless Jailer. It's a Phyrexian Golem artifact creature for two. It's a 0-4. Permanent cards in graveyards can't enter the battlefield, and players can't cast non-creature spells from graveyards or exile. The problem, the problem with a you know sideboard tech card like this is do you really want to turn on the opponent's fatal pushes with something like this? Mm-hmm. That's a little tricky. Yeah, right? I need. Yeah, I, it's one of those where, I mean, having to be a creature is only a downside, I think, right? Um, the only good thing is it is out of bolt range, uh, but it's not out of unholy heat range. So for older formats, you know, that I think it, it kind of dodges some of the removal, but not most, I'd say. Um, and I, but it does have very, very broad applications. Uh, so definitely has potential uh, but yeah it's i i wouldn't want it to be a creature if i could help it definitely we also we also saw the filigree silex two for a legendary artifact you can tap it to put an oil counter on it or you can tap it and sack it to destroy each non-land permanent with mana value equal to the number of oil counters on it you can also remove 10 oil counters from among permanents you control and sacrifice the, the filigree silex. It deals 10, 10 damage to any target. So it has a bit of an ether flux reservoir thing going on, but 10 damage even in EDH is not really enough to kill your opponent. So that seems more um, standard tuned on yeah. the basis that you are going to build up a bunch of oil counters through proliferation and then deal the final 10 to your opponent. And, I mean, we've seen Ratchet Bomb over time, which is pretty close to this, do a lot of work. Um, and so, I, you know, I don't think it's actually that bad on its own, minus the oil counter ability. It is weird that it's legendary. Um, I don't get that. Like, why Why just shove legendary on this? I'm sure it's from a, a um, storyline story standpoint, yeah. but it just seems kind of odd um that said you're, you're probably not blowing up a ton of these at the same time anyway so i don't think it's that much of a downside like this is going to leave the battlefield so having to be legendary is not like a huge loss the other reason it's legendary is because the final ability checks oil counters on all permanents you control so if you have four of these in your deck it's a lot easier to well, sack you have ten. to remove you have to remove the oil counters so the next one wouldn't see it no, 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 but if you have four of them in play, they can all be tapping to add oil counters to themselves so that you get to 10 four times faster. Oh, 
Sure. No. So, if if I'm tapping this for oil counters, hoping to ping somebody for ten to get me to the end of the game, I I, I think I'm uh, I think I'm on the losing end of that battle. Well, it's more <laughs> like even having two of them out and proliferating twice gets right, you a, yeah, gets you very true. close to the ten, right? Yeah, um, I can see that. Uh, financially, doesn't seem like doesn't seem like a ledger shredder to me. Like these days, for rares from standard sets. I'm trying to zoom, zero in on what is the Ledger Shredder, the Underworld Breach, the Thassa's Oracle, the Lauren. What is the rare here that is going to be either cross-format, uh, right. really high play demand pattern, or an absolute mega staple, at least in, in EDH? And so far, I have I don't think I've seen it, but I've seen a lot of good, interesting, fun cards that have applications in Commander and seem likely to show up in at least Standard, if not Pioneer. Some more of these EDH cards, we've got Azuri, Stalker of Spheres, 2 green, blue, 3-3 three, three for a Phyrexian Elf Warrior. When Azuri enters the battlefield, you may pay 3 if you do pro- proliferate twice. So that right there, right? If you've got a Silex and then it wasn't Legendary and you had another Silex and then you... Uh, put Azuri into play, they would both, they have tapped to go to one. So you have two oil counters and then Azuri comes in and now you've got six and now you're very close to doing 10 damage. And then whenever you proliferate, you draw a card. Um, so this in the, Just in a track, in a tracks yeah. 3DH, this will see plenty, plenty of pr- play because the decks that want to proliferate will love this card. Um, yep. And it's very much on curve in these colors to come out on turn three or four. We also got Galissa Sunslayer, one black green for a 3-3 first strike death touch. When it deals combat damage to a player, you can choose one. You draw a card, lose a life, destroy target enchantment, or remove up to three counters from target permanent. Uh, This is clearly meant to counter some of the Phyrexian mechanics that are other uh, present elsewhere in this set. 15, 20 years ago, this might have been the best card in standard. Um... These days, it seems very medium, uh, so it's going to see plenty of EDH play. It's a very solid three drop in EDH. Does that can do has a rattlesnake effect, has first strike, probably lets you get in a few times before people set up their defenses, gets rid of people's like Ristic study or propaganda, something like that, and can remove counters from planeswalkers, can remove counters, you know, poison counters from or not poison counters. Uh, proliferated counters on other permanents but yeah it's a it's a gold legend and very very few gold legendary rares are ever financially relevant these days yeah it just seems like a standard card to me i mean and even then almost like a draft card so this will be amazing in draft oh yeah for financial first pick, purposes probably. i'm not i'm not sure about that as long um, as you're willing to commit to those colors and force then right. first pickable card uh razor verge thicket and the other Allied uh, Fastlands are back. Black Cleave Cliffs, very not cheap. Which brings them into Pioneer, right? It does, which is a big deal. Um, And the the fact that it it speeds up the format a little bit. I mean, Pioneer is a format that's been... You know, they play Triomes all the time because you can take a turn off to just drop a Triome in untapped and call it a day. And these are the type of things that will just, you know, subtly, but... You know, over time, this and I'm sure there'll be other improvements to mana bases that, you know, in a year from now, taking that turn off will hurt you a lot more than it does right now. And so I'm glad to see it. I think these are important lands to be able to provide consistency and and fast pace, which Pioneer often doesn't have. I mean, they have some combo stuff, but they don't have like really true aggro decks. And so I think this will help with that. This is an interesting card. Skrelv Defector Might. One white, legendary artifact creature, Phyrexian Might, so it could be your commander. Uh, It's got Toxic 1, which means players dealt combat damage by it also get a poison counter. So you're dealing damage and poison damage with this Toxic mechanic, which is certainly interesting. It can't block. For Phyrexian, which is two life, or one white, you can tap it and choose a color. Another target creature you control gains Toxic 1 and Hexproof from that color until end of turn it can't be blocked by creatures of that that color this turn so this is kind of like a phyrexian giver of runes that yep. can help get dangerous things in unblocked i mean i wish this was in blue because then the blue black ninjas decks would eat this thing up 
be able to ninja ninja people and give them poison counters and do all sorts of nasty things. But people will find a bunch of uses for this in EDH for sure. I I don't know. I'd have to see all the other pieces of the puzzle to figure out if this is if this is standard playable. Right. Um, I mean, Pioneer for sure. I think it has a potential there, right? Like you need to have something good enough that you need to protect it and or get it through. Um, but this is that's the unique place where this is. You don't have Giver of Runes, which is pretty strictly better for most type of Hammer Time builds. Like this isn't going to go into Hammer Time, um, but in Pioneer you don't have giver of runes so i think this could find a home somewhere in there depending on you know what threats are available at the time i don't know i mean i could see hammer time experimenting with this just because hammering something up like the the, usually the only reason you don't kill somebody with a hammer if the creature doesn't get killed is that they have a blocker and they gain enough time over one or two turns blocking chump blocking to put their own win condition on the table but if you give protect, I mean, it could be the fifth, sixth, seventh copy of Giver Runes, but Giver Runes gives you protection, which gets you through blocking, and it gives you um, protection from colorless, and it has two, uh, two defense, which makes it less um, vulnerable. So for all those reasons, and it's not legendary, so you can run full four. There's a lot of improvements over this um, for Giver Runes specifically. But this does give, like, if, if you're playing against whatever red black or something in in modern and they have a ragavan on the table that could block this gets them through because well, just... you give it pro red it gets it through too but this, they, this they gives block yeah but this gives pro red i i know so does giver of runes i'm saying this the only thing this does is provide hex proof rather than protection and I'm not sure where that matters. And toxic, but that never is going to matter in modern. Fair enough. Um, I so yeah, I, I, but I, in Pioneer, I mean, it's the it's the only giver, giver of runes light. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, uh, we've got Mirren Safe House. This is a three casting cost artifact that says, if it's on the battlefield, it has the all activated abilities of all land cards and all graveyards. So the most obvious application here is fetch lands. There is a card that already does this that comes into play tapped, so you can't use it on the first turn. I am curious whether coming into play untapped is enough to suddenly make this worthwhile. I suspect it's more cute than busted. And in EDH, in the Lands Matters decks, especially if they're the kind of deck that is sacking certain lands to go get other lands or something, then you know with crop rotation and the like, then this gets that much more interesting. So I'm trying to look at a fetch land, fetch lands, pay one life, sacrifice. So how does this interact with fetch lands? Because fetch lands make you sacrifice something. Yeah, because the you can sack this as a fetch land to go get a land. So you're paying three to get one land, and as it's your off the as your fail as your fail case. Okay, but you're probably doing something like going to get cabal coffers after somebody nuked it. Overall, right. I haven't thought of anything super busted you can do with this that you can do repeatedly. But I'm sure somebody's going to come up with at least EDH level combos for it. That being said, oh, I suspect yeah. I, I don't don't see uh, a strong chance of this being financially relevant. Yeah, I mean, it seems like something you could buy a brick if it gets really like straight bulk, and you think it has potential, and you want to brick it out at a dollar in you know two years when somebody discovers what it's good for, it could be okay, but. We've got Kaya Intangible Slayer, three double white, double black, seven cast and cost Planeswalker. Better be pretty good. And it is, but seems unlikely to be financially relevant. It's a six loyalty Planeswalker. It has Hexproof, which is certainly frustrating for the opponents. Plus two loyalty. Each opponent loses three life and you gain three life. So I might try it out in Aloro and the like. For zero, you draw two cards and each opponent may scry one. Not awesome to let your opponent scry. Minus three, exile target creature. Let me see what the full or text enchantment. is. Or enchantment. Uh, if it yeah. wasn't an aura, create a token that's a copy of it, except it's a 1-1 one, one white spirit creature with flying in addition to its other types. So say somebody has Jinjitaxius Progress Tyrant on the board in EDH. You drop your Kaya, exile Jinjitaxius because he can't counter Planeswalkers. You get a copy, 
That's yeah. cute. It's fine. I show six. Six yeah. and seven, the difference is pretty massive. I mean it's it's a good card. Again, don't don't think it's gonna be financially relevant. Um yeah, I agree. This card looks very good to me. Pushed. Tyvar Jubilant Brawler. One black green, three loyalty. You may activate abilities of creatures you control as though those creatures had haste, so it's concordant crossroads for you. Plus one, untap up to one target creature. And then minus two, mill three cards, then you may return a creature card with mana value two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. This is custom tailored to fit into green-black elf decks for Pioneer and Modern. Um, It's a rare, not a mythic, and it's going to be fairly narrowly slotted towards those decks, so again, I don't suspect that this is financially relevant although the fanciest version of this down the road say five years when they haven't reprinted this 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 does not look to me like something they're going to reprint often this is a pretty cool card that does unique things because you're you get kind of net positive on a bird's paradise the turn after you play this if it's in before this then you're up a mana on the turn that you played it kind of costs two instead of three if you're looking for a blocker or a combo piece or something, you can mill the three cards and then put that creature into the into play right away to block to protect Tyvar. It's got a lot of interlocking puzzle pieces. I think this is straight bulk. <laughs> I just I, I like I think everything it reads reads well, but then you think about how it plays out, and you're like, oh, I played a three man, a planeswalker, and now I play an elf who can tap for one. Which I'm not going to use. Well, no, but it's mill. No, no, no. It mills three cards, and then you can return any creature card with mana value two or less to to play. So it's not just an elf, right? It could be any two drop of relevance, and that two drop could be a Dothy Slayer. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking the plus one. Um, return any two mana. Yeah, from graveyard to the battlefield. <sighs> I mean, do I want to? Do I want to? Do I want to pay three to put? maybe something from my graveyard like if there was confidently always something in the graveyard you may return yeah and it has to be a creature so it can't be a fetch land so you have to have something in the graveyard that's you know and if you get a mana dork ugh. i i I have a hard time like it's i think all the abilities read okay but like the play pattern of how it actually plays out will be underwhelming let me be clear that i don't disagree with the bulk statement I do think that you might be underestimating the power of the card. This looks like a set of interlocking pieces that complement each other pretty well. Um, that does not mean I think it's going to be worth money because it's it's a gold rare. <laughs> right. And I can't remember the last time a gold rare was and, worth money. Yeah, it was ever. But like, if you're returning, like, say it's a, a lower slung black, green, blue deck, and you're returning Aggro deck. a, a ledger sledger. Or something, you know, something sure. where it's not you're you're not returning yeah. an elf, but you're returning a very high value two mana creature mm-hmm. where it's almost worth three, but it's under costed. Then the everything else is straight upside, right? And that creature has haste, or I guess it's only active abilities, but it has an active ability you could use at that turn. Then I could see it turning a kerner, Dothy Voidwalker. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it has to have kind of the right little formula where the two. Two mana return is almost worth the cost of the three mana, and then everything after that is like a bonus, which is pretty narrow. Mirex is a interesting land. It's a land sphere. Tap, add a colorless, or add one mana of any color, but only on the first turn. And then three tap, create a 1-1 one, one colorless Phyrexian might artifact creature token with toxic one, and this creature can't block. A utility land like this that can make creatures this easily is pretty high-powered um, What's overall. the name of this one again? I'm trying to find it. Mirex. M-I-R-R-E-X. That said, it seems unlikely to me to be financially relevant. Right. Uh, there's a lot of interesting cards in this set. I don't, I don't see a lot of things that are going to be obvious winners. The thi- But the problem is, there's a bun- this has a very kind of insular set of mechanics and a lot of cards that complement each other. So you have to really see the whole of this set before you can kind of figure out what standard looks like and how much of it will impact Pioneer. It's pretty obvious that tons of this shows up will show up in EDH because, you know, Traxa is one of the top five commanders of all time, and a lot of this reinforces her themes and gives her new ways to play. 
There's the monumental facade. This is a sphere that enters the battlefield with two oil counters on it. You can tap for colorless, or you can remove an oil counter and put an oil counter on target artifact or creature you control. So that reinforces the other other themes in the set. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Yeah, well, I mean, the reprint value, so Phyrexian Arena's in here, which is notoriously always stayed pretty high. I'll be really curious to see what that gets down to. It's going to get nailed um, here. We, we, I, right, like, this is one of those cards that's always had those little, like, you know, reprint here or there, but it's always, like, smaller, and it doesn't really hammer it. I think here, that gets hammered. Um, I mean, all the lands, especially Black Leaves Cliffs is, you know, 18 bucks. I think that's just going to get killed um i'll be curious though to just see how much of the ev is sucked sucked up by reprints versus the the core which right now i mean we i think elish norn seems like the obvious winner phyrexian obliterator just because it's cool i think will keep a lot of ev um and then the reprints and then otherwise i haven't seen a ton that green sun green sun's twilight the uh one green and x reveal uh the top x cards of your library choose a creature card and or land among them put those cards in your hand the rest of the bottom and if it's x uh, five or more instead put them in the battlefield uh or in your hand that one i think has gotten a lot of hype i think it's i don't know what you think i think that's probably a little overhyped um i think it's fine but other things do things better yeah it's it's not quite finale of devastation Right. But, it, but it's a strong card. Um, we've also there's lots of cute stuff in here. There's Graz, Unstoppable Juggernaut for eight seven five Juggernauts you control attack each combat if able. Juggernauts you control can't be blocked by walls. Other creatures you control have base power and toughness five three and are Juggernauts in addition to their other creature types. So you can discard this and reanimate it in EDH, and all of your stuff is 5-3 and unblockable. So that's going to benefit reanimation slash token strategies. Unfortunately, in the top 20 commanders in EDH, there isn't really an easy fit for the, those kinds of shenanigans. And again, this is a rare. Um, yeah, the rare is just crushing at first. It gets better over time. All right, so what's your price if you had to play Soulless Jailer, which I think is the most interesting rare we've talked about, uh, what is the price you put it at three months out from release? Soulless Jailer. This is the uh, sideboard tech, permanence, graveyards, and non-casting, non-creature spells. Oh, bulk. Okay, I'm going to go with two bucks. Sure, it, it could be anywhere from bulk to two bucks. I, I'll yeah. give you that, depending on how much Pioneer and Standard play it's these. Like I look at, um, I, which is totally a different league, but Unlicensed Hurst, and that's a sideboard card. Some mainboard, but mostly sideboard. Lots of applications. That got to, whatever, 10? I don't remember exactly how high. The basic version. So this could do two, I think. Like, if I see it in uh, bulk, you know, if I see a 200 brick for 50 cents a piece on release weekend, I'll probably buy it. Put it that way. The Eternal Wanderer is probably the best Planeswalker I've seen so far. This is four double white for five loyalty. Uh, Only one creature can attack this Planeswalker each combat. Plus one exile up to one target artifact or creature. Return that to your battlefield at the end of the next end step. So it's got a built-in blink effect as the plus one loyalty. The zero creates a 2-2 white samurai creature with double strike. Not probably the best token defender on any planeswalker right uh and then minus four for each player choose a creature that player controls each player sacrifices all creatures they control not chosen this way and then keep in mind only the remaining creature would be available to attack the eternal wanderer so at six mana you have a sweeper that isn't full it is a partial sweeper, but it is a majority sweeper. And then you are left with a planeswalker they have to then swing and kill. Seems solid, but unlikely to be, you know, the Wandering Emperor from Neo. Right. Um, because so it's, not, a- it's not a four drop. It doesn't have flash. It doesn't let the blue-white decks play Drago control. 
So is this a rare? That's what I'm seeing, right? I, I think it's it like is a. I think it is a rare, which the puts the nail in the coffin. 1990s flip phone thing. That like, I, I never understand why the leaks are so bad in images. Well, because these but... aren't because these weren't leaked from the shop floor. This is like people's pictures they took at the LGS when they cracked these. Like, oh no, I I get. I'm just saying, like, if I sent you this photo via text, you'd be like, "What the hell? Take a better photo and send it back." Well, it's like cropped from a bigger photo i guess is the yeah deal. yeah um but no i so i think what what i so we've talked about a couple plays walkers all of them seem reasonable but you know maybe not quite there but they're all rares which tells me like okay what's what's the mythic planeswalkers look like because kato's not bad that we've seen that already and that's a rare too but all these are fine but not amazing but if they're not amazing, but the rare or the mythics we haven't seen yet, like are the mythic planeswalkers going to come out and just be, you know, like maybe the completed ones or whatever they are, but just be killer. I don't know. But yeah, I like the Eternal Wanderer. It's not bad. It seems like a one of at the top end of a thing, you know, financially, whatever, but it seems like it's, it could see some play. So if I had to pick rares that might actually make us money over time, I'm going to have to go with Phyrexian Arena on a rebound if they avoid reprinting it. Because they already gave it us gave it to us in Commander Collection Black. There was plenty of that yeah. product sitting around, which hampers its ability to recover. Now they're putting it in the standard. That should tank it for a good long time, especially if nobody in standard runs it and nobody's playing standard. <laughs> uh, and um, I don't think I, I don't think Virexian Arena is likely to see much standard play. Right. <clears throat> so I'm gonna go with one we haven't talked about yet, uh, which I kind of forgot about until I just saw it, which is Conduit of the Worlds. Two green, two colorless. So you may play lands from your graveyard. That's my top pick as well for the rare. So far. yeah. Um, so and then you can also tap it, choose target non-land permanent card in your graveyard. If you haven't cast this, uh, haven't cast a spell this turn, you may cast that card. If you do, you may not cast additional spells this turn. To activate only as a sorcery. That just seems like. Um, I mean, if three mana, what? It, why can I not think of the artifact? Um, colorless. It's Crucible of Worlds. Crucible for, of the Worlds. For, for one more, for one in, more green with added, in green. In green, yeah. With additional upside. And let me tell you, I play Muldratha. <laughs> and in a grindy game of EDH, Muldratha is the king. I just played it in the Commander game last weekend with the Pro Traders and won out against three competent decks. The because you have this ability to keep recursing things from your yard, and if nobody incidentally wipes the yards, then Muldrotha gets to keep doing his thing. The cute thing about Conduit that people probably aren't immediately clued into is the first ability is static, the second one is activated, it's not summoning sick. So you drop this on four instead of three with Crucible, and whereas with Crucible you would normally then fetch to get your card advantage back, um... In this case, you do two things on the first turn. You're going to go fetch, put that land into play, and now you've got a little extra mana, presumably, to cast something out of the yard. So you might be able to get two cards back for the one card on the turn that you play it. And in the mid to late game in EDH, it's going to be much more busted than that because it could be something like uh, bring back a Gaia's Cradle that somebody nerfed or a Cabal Coffers, or it could just still be a fetch land, but the creature you bring back is a Moldrifter, or it's a Gingitaxius, or it's a whatever. And this is a very good card. Now, it's likely to get cheap and probably stay cheap because I don't think it's good enough for Standard and Pioneer because they don't have access to fetch lands, which ends up being the anchor for a card like this. But whatever the price on these is next summer like say in June or something, if it's very low and there are bricks lying around, I will be very interested in picking these up for the long term because if they leave it alone for say three to five years, this is going to be worth money later. Right. Like it seems like, um, I mean, it's not at all similar, but like the world tree was one where it was obvious it was going to go into a lot of decks, but it's restricted because it's five color and this and that. That got down to, I think like a buck 80 at one it was like hovering around three then it got a mass crack it went down to buck 80 or two bucks now i think it's back up to like four um that's where i'd want to be here it's like buck 80 two dollars something like that if it gets lower than that i'd be very happy to get in on a large brick of them it looks like the world tree got down to yeah two dollars and then got up to six october of this year and has been drifting down since yeah so, I mean, again, from a direct perspective, 
you know, a pretty appealing scenario. And I could see this new artifact getting more play than the world tray. Oh yeah. I would want to buy this around two, two fifty, sell at 10. I think that would be my goal. Uh, might be a little ambitious, but all right. So for now, this is, this is the reveals. We will have more info and Intel on this. I'm sure next week and the week after, ah, put that one to bed neatly. Where can people find you online? My friend. Well, I am Derek the Dark Mage, and folks can find me online at Oko Assassin on Twitter, where I'm trying to regular post. I always feel hit, feel free to hit me up. Love to hear from folks about what you're interested in hearing more about or any articles in the future that you want us to take a look at writing. How about you, James? Where can folks find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com. Also like to remind our listeners to check out the MGGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can get all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best Magic Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% on your order. And to support this podcast, James, that brings us to the end of another episode. Appreciate the conversation as always. Thank you, Derek, for joining me for episode 358. We will see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.